morning we resume our study of the book, the letter of 1 John. This is number 17 in the series. And we are now in the fifth chapter. We have just a few more, perhaps maybe two, to complete the study of 1 John, and then on the 2nd John and 3rd John. This morning we come to 1 John 5, verses 13 to 15. We've mentioned this particular verse, verse 13, on numerous occasions. Because uh, this verse is, in a sense, uh, the purpose statement of this entire letter. First John 5.13, in a sense, tells us why John uh, wrote this letter and uh, conveys uh, his expressed desire for the people to whom he writes in this letter. And so uh, this morning we look at it in particular, but also the verses that come along with it, as uh, John seeks to infuse God's people with a sense of spiritual confidence. So we read this morning First uh, John 5, verses 13 through 15. Here now the reading of God's Word. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We come now before you acknowledging that this is your word and that it is revealed by you, uh, by the work of your Holy Spirit, and that for us to understand that word, we need also the work of your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds and renew our wills. And so we pray now, Heavenly Father, that you would Send your spirit, even as we have just prayed in song, uh, that you would cause your word uh, to be understood by us and that it would uh, meet us according to our various needs. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would this morning infuse us with a sense of spiritual confidence. And I pray, Father, for those who perhaps have not come to the place in their lives where they are confident about their relationship with you, that you might grant them that even this very morning as they hear the good news of the gospel, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, for those who already know you, perhaps though are troubled spiritually, that you would... Uh, grant them again, Father, a great sense of confidence and certainty about their faith. Father, we pray these things. We plead for You. Do Your work in our hearts even this very morning, in these very moments, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past um, about 10 to 13 Maybe 12 years, 
I've had the opportunity to travel outside of the United States on numerous occasions, sometimes two or three times a year. Many of you know, 22 times uh, to the country of Peru alone. Every time I travel out of this country, I always have this great sense of relief when I return and pass through uh, immigration. You never had that experience. It's sort of unnerving in a sense. And there is in the back of your mind just this little tinge of worry that maybe they won't let you come back. And you stand in the line with everybody else and you have your passport in hand. Um, but then I'm reminded that passport has on it that I am a citizen of these United States of America. And then I see the signs. <clears throat> those who are not citizens over that way and those who are line up over here. And I have this sense of confidence that there is this privilege and this confidence in my identity as a United States citizen that they will let me back in, that I will be received and not be rejected. Now, of course, what the Apostle John is addressing here in this letter and uh, throughout this letter is not will I be received back into the United States, but rather do I have the confidence that I know God, that I have a relationship with God, that I have fellowship with the living God of the heavens and the earth, my Creator, and that He will at the last day receive me into His heaven. This letter is about spiritual assurance or spiritual confidence. And in these verses 13 to 15, uh, there is first laid before us the foundation of spiritual confidence. And then, based on that foundation, the experience of spiritual confidence, which is most clearly expressed in the privilege of prayer. First, we note the foundation of spiritual confidence. What is the foundation upon which we stand that gives us a sense of confidence about our lives spiritually? Well, verse 13 and 14, we read these words. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before Him. So here we have great words of spiritual encouragement, confidence-building words, and these words apply to those who believe. These words are not for just anyone. You must first qualify for these words to apply to your life. And what is required? How do you qualify? The answer, John tells us, is uh, that he writes these words to those who believe. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. 
In other words, John's target audience is not just anybody, but rather he's writing in particular to believers, those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came to this earth and took upon Himself the fullness of our human nature, who wrapped Himself up in our flesh. This is where spiritual confidence begins. It begins by putting your faith in Jesus for your spiritual well-being. In a sense, Jesus is your spiritual passport. With Him, you are received into heaven. Without Him, you shall not be received into heaven. Apart from Jesus, you cannot be confident about your life spiritually. Spiritual life begins with a relationship to Christ, and it begins with several settled convictions about your life spiritually. First, it begins with the conviction that God is your Creator. It starts there. That you did not create yourself, that you did not spontaneously come into being, but rather that you exist by virtue of the sovereign hand of Almighty God who created you. Therefore, number two, you have the settled conviction that you are responsible to God. That He created you for a particular purpose. He gave you the capacity to bring glory to Him as an image bearer and reflector. Three, that you have rebelled against Him. You have a sense of your own failure that you sinned against Him. And four, therefore you deserve His judgment as punishment for your sin. And five, that God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth, who took upon Himself the fullness of your human nature, who lived a perfect holy life, took our sins upon Himself on the cross, bore our punishment as Isaiah's prophecy so clearly declares, He was crushed in our place, took our punishment, offers me forgiveness and salvation as a free gift. And lastly, I must believe on, depend upon Him for my salvation. Salvation or spiritual confidence is found in Jesus. That is the Gospel, the good news. And John puts it this way in 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, the verses that just preceded our passage this morning. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So there's the, the, the foundation for spiritual confidence. What is your relationship 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God? Are you trusting Him? Have you put your faith in Him? That's where spiritual confidence begins. Now, secondly then, once you've done that, you're a believer, then there is an experience of spiritual confidence that arises out of that foundation. As you're standing upon that foundation, then there is the experience of that spiritual confidence that only comes into the lives of those who are standing on that foundation. We see this in verses 13 to 15. It is one thing to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might have eternal life. It is quite another thing to come to the place in your life where you are confident about that spiritual life, where you know that you have eternal life. That is the experience, you see, of spiritual confidence, to come to the place in your spiritual life where you are confident about your relationship with God, that you know God personally. There is first then uh, the experience of assurance of a saving knowledge of God. Verse 13, John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John now tells us then the reason for which he wrote this letter to these believers. It is his expressed desire for every believer to have confidence about his salvation, to have spiritual certainty about that. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is writing, so that you may know that you have eternal life. There are some people who never come to that conviction. They live their whole life just sort of hoping that they might have eternal life or might enter into heaven. Some people are convinced no one could ever know that because they think that you get into heaven by being good and they're never convinced they ever are good enough or how good would you have to be to get into heaven. But entrance into heaven is not gained or earned by virtue of the pursuit of goodness as though you could earn your way into heaven. And John tells us that it is possible for you to know that you know God, to know that you have a relationship with God, to know that you have eternal life. That you might possess a certain knowledge. That that would be your spiritual experience. Not just a hope that one day you might possibly enter into heaven or have eternal life or suppose that you might have it or expect that one day you might have it or simply to think that you might have it, but rather that you might know that you have it. That would be the experience of a spiritual confidence about your life. Not a spiritual arrogance. Look what I have achieved. But spiritual confidence, settled conviction that you have a relationship with God and that He's given to you the gift of eternal life. How can a man know that? Well, uh, John refers in this verse 
to the things which he has written in this letter, these things I have written to you who believed. What things? Well, again, the answer um, is that those things that are written in this letter, those themes that he's laid before us, what I call five spiritual vital signs, are given to you. John presents them to you, expands and develops them throughout the whole of this letter because when those things that he refers to are present in your life, when you can examine your life and you see those things that he mentions are present in your life and they are at work in your life, then you can know that you are spiritually alive. Because they are the vital signs of spiritual life. What are they? You ought to be able to tell me by now. A growing awareness of sin in your life. A true believer has a growing sensitivity to sin in his life and is willing to confess it and turn away from it. Two, a growing desire to know and keep the law and word of God. There's a desire to please God. Three, a growing and deepening love for God's people, interest in their lives, willing to sacrifice on their behalf in the fellowship of God's people in the church. Four, a growing aversion to this fallen world, an awareness that this fallen world in which we're living is no friend to the life of the believer. And lastly, and perhaps Most importantly, a growing faith and dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Those five things, if present in your life, are indicators of spiritual life. The increasing presence of all these things in the life of a believer work together to bolster his spiritual confidence. It produces in you a certain knowledge that you have eternal life and by these things you may know that you have eternal life. Remember that these things are written so that believers can know they have eternal life. That is a present possession. Not when they die, but now that they possess eternal life. And remember these things are Uh, producing assurance in the life of a believer that he has a saving knowledge of God. So there's the experience resting on the foundation. That experience is first an assurance of of a saving knowledge of God. Secondly, it is an experience of the assurance of a personal knowledge of God. Verse 14 says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked from Him. In other words, the spiritual confidence of a saving knowledge of God, of having eternal life, leads us into the experience of a spiritual confidence of a personal relationship with God or knowledge of God. 
In other words, it's not just that you know God in some general way, that you acknowledge that there's some kind of being out there somewhere, but rather that you have come to know God as your heavenly Father. And with that comes also then the privilege of prayer. John writes, this is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything, in other words, to know God, to know that you know God, that you have eternal life, floods your soul with a sense of spiritual confidence and opens then up the door to a personal experience of the privilege of prayer Under your God, your Heavenly Father. This is the privilege of grace afforded to those who qualify. It is wrongly presumed by many that personal prayer is the privilege of everyone without any distinction whatsoever. But it's not. It is the privilege of those who are the adopted children of God by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. John writes in John 1, verse 12, his gospel, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What are the privileges of a child? Someone who becomes a child of God. The privilege is open and free access to His Heavenly Father. Remember what John states in this opening verses of this letter. 1 John 1 verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It is by the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I have fellowship with God, that we have communion with and a relationship with God. It is by the Gospel that our sin barrier is removed from us, that we are reconciled unto God our Father, no longer enemies of God, but now reconciled with God, at peace with God. And that is the experience of spiritual confidence. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Note, John writes, we have this confidence before Him. That is, in His presence, without fear of rejection. The believer in Jesus Christ has the privilege of entering into the very presence of God without fear of rejection. Not only without fear of rejection, But God is saying, you can remain in my presence, but more than this, more than just confidence that you'll be received, you have access 
to be heard. We might take that for granted, but you know right now, um, in our country, there are tens of thousands, it's more than 10,000, according to a report I recently read, of Afghan translators who have worked with the United States Army and our troops in in Afghanistan who are anticipating the removal of our troops and who will then move to the very top of the list of the Taliban for people to pursue and kill. And they are applying for visas to come to this country that they might have safety and refuge. And they have to wait over a year just to receive the paperwork. But they're running out of time. They don't have access. Yet you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, John says, the experience of eternal life, the confidence we have about our relationship with our Heavenly Father means we always get a hearing with God. We always get a hearing with our Heavenly Father. He never refuses us an audience with Him. Isn't that amazing? We always have His ear. He ever loves to entertain the heartfelt cries of His children. And this confidence we have, in one sense, is unrestricted. It is not that He will hear us if we restrict our prayers to certain categories. And other categories are off limits. No. He says, anything. No subject is out of bounds. In another sense, there is a restriction. All subjects are fair game, but requests must be, he says, according to his will. Verse 14. Prayer is not magic. Some have reduced prayer down to some sort of magic of some sort or another, as though God were some impersonal force to be manipulated by us, and prayers saying the right word, just the magic words of the right formula, or the right performance is like Star Wars and the Force. Uh, God is <clears throat> some impersonal force out there, and you learn through practice how to use the Force for your own purposes. That is not prayer. Prayer is personal. God is personal. Uh, when you pray, you are not praying uh, to some cosmic vending machine. Put in so many, get so much out. But you're coming to a heavenly Father knowing that He loves you because He has already given you the two best gifts that can be given. His own Son 
the Lord Jesus Christ, and also the Holy Spirit. If one of my grandsons comes to me, they could ask me anything. If one, if one of them comes to me and says, Pop, I want a razor-sharp knife for Christmas. I will probably decline. Not only for his own safety, but for my own. John Stott makes this observation. Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending His will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to His. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. It is the privilege that you have standing upon the foundation, the experience of spiritual confidence that I can bring anything to my Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus, my Mediator, and have the blessed assurance-building experience of answered prayer. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it's been my experience from the moment of my, my spiritual life. From 1969 to this day. I don't think about it as often as I should, but there is a stream, a long list of answered prayers. I'll start with um, my marriage since I, yesterday was my 39th wedding anniversary. I pray, God, bring me a wife. He answered my prayer. Seminary, he answered my prayer. Uh, one of the first things I remember, uh, we were living in an apartment, and uh, we had no place to, we had no dresser. We just had boxes with our clothes in it, and my wife didn't like that. I could have lived with that probably for a long time, but she was agitated by that. Uh, we need a dresser. I said we can't afford a dresser. Uh, how much can we spend? I said twenty-five dollars. You'll never find one for that. We found one. It's in my daughter's house. It had a beveled edge mirror and a carved wooden frame around it. $25. Job. I knew where I was going before I ever graduated from seminary. Calling to hear, answer to prayer. Where we live, answered a prayer. The house we lived in sold within 24 hours of being listed for $10,000 more than we bought it for. And then we bought this house here, which we've lived in for 32 years. This church, this land, this school. Chris Hutchinson, Robert Wagner, Craig Rao. Craig Higgins, even David Wilson. (laughs) 
Sammy Rowe, Lucianne, all of these are answers to prayer. So John says, if we know that we that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know <clears throat> that we have the request which we have asked from him. It's the confidence of answered prayer. There's something very marvelous about prayer, isn't there? Think about it. You, a finite, puny little creature, scurrying about on the crust of this globe as it spins throughout space, can bring before the God who created all of it your wants, your desires, your concerns, and know that He hears you. How is that possible? I do not know. But He hears you. As His own child. Because He's your Heavenly Father. By the grace of adoption. And He not only hears you, but marvelously He often grants you the desires of your heart. Prayer is something marvelous and in some ways incomprehensible. There are two extremes that we ought to avoid. Uh, On the one hand, some want to make prayer into something uh, or nothing more than just wishful thinking. And others want to reduce it down to some kind of mechanical formula. But prayer is neither wishful thinking nor a mechanical formula. It is the cry of a child of God unto His heavenly Father, knowing that He will always do what is best for His child. And He answers all of our prayers out of His goodness and out of His wisdom and out of His power. Thus, when the answer is yes, and He gives us our desires, we rejoice in that. And when the answer is no, and He does not give us what we ask for, we rejoice, resting confidently in His love and goodness for us. Because He has infinite knowledge. It's just spiritual confidence. It's the experience of it. Knowing God. Knowing that you have eternal life. A relationship with your Heavenly Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of spiritual confidence. And standing on that, experiencing the blessings of eternal life and the assurance of answered prayer. May God infuse you with a sense of spiritual confidence as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these encouraging words. And um, thank You for Jesus. We make our prayer in His glorious name. Amen.